Hi, and welcome back to Maturing the Bride. Again, I'm Bob Shogren. We're in book number one. We're doing lecture number five, which is why does God test us? Why does God test us? We're going on the foundational presupposition that God is looking for a bride for his son. But he doesn't want just any bride. He wants a mature bride for his son. And I'm trying to challenge you that your goal as a believer, your goal is to mature, to mature as a believer. That's your goal. Don't just sit back and say, hey, look, I prayed the prayer I'm in. I invited Jesus in my heart when I was a child. I don't need to do anything. I can sit back and play video games and do whatever I want because I prayed the prayer and I'm going to heaven. I'm trying to challenge you. That is not the way I see the scriptures. I'm here to tell you that your salvation is merely a stepping stone, a stepping stone to something far bigger, far greater, and that is to rule and reign with Christ throughout the universe. That's big. That's huge. And in order to understand this bigger question of why God tests us, I want to introduce you to someone, not a personal friend. I've never met him, but I've read his books. His name is Randy Alcorn. And the book that I want to recommend is the book called Heaven. It is phenomenal, men and women. I recommend it as the second book you need to read after the Bible. And I've written my own books. I recommend this book better because it gets you so excited about what God is doing. But anyhow, in this book, Heaven, he also communicates this idea of ruling and reigning with God forever in eternity future. But he calls it a family business. And I like that, a family business. He derives that, of course, from John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. You're a child of God. I'm a child of God. We're in the family of God. So he says God has a family business, a family business. But this family business is not made up of all the same people. There are going to be people from every tongue, every tribe, every ethnic group around the globe. And his family is going to be made up of people from South Africa, from Peru, from North America, from Europe, from India, from Asia, all over the globe. He has an ethnic family, a diverse ethnic family. So in order to understand why God tests us, I want to give you two key points. Two key points to understand in order to help us see why God tests us. Here is the first key point. Point number one, there are different levels of authority in heaven. Men and women right now up in heaven, there are different levels of authority in heaven. Not all the angels are the same. Not all the Elohim are the same. There are different levels. We get this from the book of Daniel. In Daniel, the book of Daniel, Daniel comes to a point where Daniel has a vision given to him and he wonders what it meant. In wondering what it meant, an angel was dispatched to give him an answer. And as the angel was sent to give him an answer, we read these words. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard, and I came because of your words. 
the prince of the king of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. What's happening here? The angel was sent to answer Daniel's prayers, but he got a roadblock, and that was the prince of Persia, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. He says, uh-uh, I'm not allowing you to come through. This is one of the bad guys, one of the bad angels. We call them demons, whatever you want to call them, who's ruling over the Persia area. He says, I'm not going to allow you to go through. So that angel had to call upon Michael to boot him out so that he could go through and talk to Daniel. What do we learn from this? There are different levels. The angel in this one had the lowest ranking of the three. He was the lowest of the three. After that came the prince of Persia, but above him was Michael. So the angel was the lowest rank, the prince of Persia was a middle rank, and Michael was of the highest rank. There are different levels in heaven right now. And just to let you know, Michael is an archangel. An archangel as defined as an angel that is over angels. Where I go in Africa, they have archbishops. Even here in America, some denominations have archbishops. That's a bishop who's over bishops. An archangel is an angel that's over angels. We find this in the book of Jude. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Here he's called the archangel Michael. Why? Because he's over other angels. That's where we get the term archangel. He's over other angels and he's contending with the devil and he won't even contend with the devil. He won't even try to challenge him, meaning there's someone over Michael and that is Lucifer. Lucifer, the devil, is over Michael in power, who was over the prince of Persia, who was over the... There are different levels in heaven. So will it be for all of eternity future. Not only now in the existing heavens are there different levels of authority, but Jesus in the book of Luke gave a parable, the parable of the minas, the 10 minas. If you don't know the parable, there was a king who was going away. He's going to come back. And at, before he goes away, he gives each one of his servants a mina. And he says, I want to see how you do. And when they come back, he gives a report. Listen to this report here. Luke chapter 19, verses 16 and 17. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Authority over. In eternity future, there will be people who will be over other people. There will be those in authority and those under authority. It's not only happening here on this earth. We see it with mayors and governors and presidents, but we also see it in the angelic realm, angels that have more authority over others, more power. And we see it's going to be the same way in eternity future. There will be different levels of authority. So let's look at the second key point. And this is so key. It's so obvious, but we'd miss it. But you haven't missed it, but you probably haven't thought about it. So that's why I'm pointing it out. It's so simple and so key, but here it is. You don't start off at the top. You don't start off at the top. Just like here on this earth, 
if you have a business and you want to get things going, you get some and you start them at the bottom. You want to see how are you going to do? I want to see if you're going to be faithful. If you're faithful there, I'll put you in middle management. If you're faithful in middle management, I'll put you in upper management. And if you're faithful there, guess what? I'm going to make you a partner. You're going to sit with me on my throne and rule and reign. God says, I want to see your faithfulness. I want to see how you are going to do before I promote you. This is why Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Moreover, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. It's required? Something's required of me as a Christian? No, 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 no. I prayed the prayer. I'm in. I'm going to heaven. Nothing is required of me. That's not what my Bible says. And you need to go check if it says that in your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. I want to challenge you. God says you must prove your faithfulness to me. You must prove your faithfulness to God. God is looking to see if you're going to be faithful. Now, listen, I run a small business. I have a small 501c3. I don't hire but more than one person. I mean, it's a very Ma and Paul organization here. But if the kingdom of God were my business and someone were to come to me and say, yeah, I'd like to rule and reign, but their resume was blank, I'd be pretty skeptical. I'd be very skeptical. I'd say, look, uh, uh, you haven't shown anything here on your resume. How do I know you're going to be faithful in doing what I'm going to ask you to do? God is looking for us to prepare our resume. We get 80 years here on this earth, some less, some more, but we get 80 or so basic years here to prove ourselves to God. He says, I want to see your faithfulness in marriage. I want to see your faithfulness in raising your kids. I want to see how you take care of your pet. I want to see how you do at your job. God says, I'm not going to put an unskilled person in charge of my kingdom. I put you on this earth to see how you're going to do. I gave you talents. I gave you minus. How'd you do? I want proof. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. It has nothing to do with our relationship with God. That is unconditional love that we will have forever. As the Bible calls it, a steadfast love that's constantly coming to you over and over and over again. But he says, in light of how I'm going to reward you, in light of how I'm going to have you in my family business, I need some proof. Men and women. Here's a simple little news flash. You ready for this? Children get toy tractors. Children get toy tractors. They don't get the real tractor that does the work. They get toy tractors to play with. Now, let's be honest. You and I both know of Christians who are like little children. And the writer of the scriptures, especially Hebrews, understood this. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. 
For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Since he is a child? Yeah. Back in those days, the writers knew that some people were mature and some were immature. Remember our very first lecture, Colossians 1, 28 and 29? Uh, Paul says, I work, I strive to present every man mature in Christ. That must mean that there are people who are immature. And the writer of Hebrews says, yeah, they're immature. They're like children. And I'm here to tell you, children get toy tractors. They don't get the real thing. They don't get the real thing. They get toy tractors, not real tractors. Paul understood this, and he gave up his own childish ways to mature. That's what he wants us to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I gave up childish ways. I went on to maturity. I grew in maturity. God is telling us through the Apostle Paul to give up childish ways. Give up childish ways. Quit living for your kingdom. Start living for his kingdom. Yes, you know the Lord. Yes, you prayed the prayer, but you can still be a child. He wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. He wants you to be discipled. He wants you discipling others. He wants you to reflect his glory in every area of your lives. Jesus helps us to understand why in Luke chapter 12. For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Men and women, God says, hey, I've given you a lot. I've entrusted you with much. How are you doing? In other words, God tests us. God tests us. God is going to test us here on this earth. He wants to see how we're doing. If you've been given much, much is demanded of you. Well, that doesn't sound very loving. That doesn't sound like a loving God. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. When you see the rewards, oh, it is so loving. It is so loving. But God is going to test you. A loving God tests and disciplines his children. But I want you to take a little tweak on that perspective and that thought. Don't think of it as not being a loving God. Although it doesn't sound like a loving God, it does sound like a just God. God is a God of justice. He's a God of justice. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. All his ways are just. Men and women, the justice of God is linked to the love of God. The justice of God is inseparably linked to the love of God. Yes, he is a God of love. God is love, 1 John 4, 8. But he's also a just God. And we can't separate the two. His love and his justice go hand in hand together. We see this in Isaiah. 
Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. He longs to be gracious to you. He longs to have compassion for you, but he's a God of justice. He's a God of justice. Though he loves the sinner and can have a relationship with the sinner, to have fellowship, he says, we've got to deal with this sin. We've got to deal with this sin to have this intimate fellowship that I long for you. For you to be my bride, we've got to deal with the sin. Our relationship is one thing. Our fellowship is something totally different. So he says, I long to have it with you, but I'm also a God of justice. Now here's what happens in the church around the globe. And I've been around the globe. Here's what happens in the church around the globe. Christians tend to focus only on God's love. We Where's God? Oh, God is a God of love. He's a God of love. Oh, yeah, 1 John 4, 8. I love it. God is love. This is wonderful. But we forget about his justice. We forget about his justice. I just want a God of love. I don't want just. Oh, oh wait, wait, I'm sorry. If someone is unjust to me, then I want God's justice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want God to be a God of justice when someone's not just to me. But if I'm not just to God with what he's given me, no, no, no. I just want grace. I just want mercy. He's a God of love. He's full of grace and he's full of mercy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I want in my God. No, God is a just God, and he says, there will be testing. Is this in the scriptures? <laughs> it's all over the place. Let's start with the patriarch Abraham. What did God say to Abraham in the very beginning? He says these words, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. God tested Abraham with his son? Yep. God tests us in all areas, even with our children. Men and women, oh, so many Christians give God everything except their kids. Can't have them, Lord. No, 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 no. I, 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 I'm not going to give them a world vision. Uh, I'm not going to tell them about the Great Commission because if I do, Lord, they might go overseas. Then my grandkids are going to be overseas. God, I want to play with my grandkids. I want to see them grow up. And so, God, you can have everything but my kids. God says, no. I want it all. I want everything. God tested Abraham with his kids. I'm going to test you with your kids. God tested Abraham. Deuteronomy. We read the same thing. You shall remember all the way which the Lord has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. These Israelites, the Exodus generation, were tested for 40 years. 40 years? Yeah. And they never learned the lesson. Men and women, learn the lesson. Pass the tests. 
Learn to go from lower to the bottom to the lower management to middle management to upper management to become a partner. Pass your test. Don't be like this generation that had to wander around for 40 years that never learned their lesson. Humble yourselves under the almighty hand of God and he will exalt you at the proper time. Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. God is going to test me so that I don't sin. Oh, that's about sin. Well, yes, that is about sin. Because when you sin, you're not faithful. When you're not faithful, you're not going to get the reward that God wanted you to have. And he wanted that for you for all of eternity past. So God says, I'm going to test you to make sure you don't sin. Because I want to give you the reward. I want to give you a kingdom I dreamed up in eternity past for you. I'm going to test you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 16. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. To test you, to do good for you. What's the good he's going to do? Oh, yeah, ruling and reigning. That's good. That's good. That's big. That's good and that's big. God says, I'm going to test you because I want to do good to you. Because I want to do good to you. Psalm 11, verse 5. The Lord examines the righteous. God is constantly testing our hearts. Constantly testing why. He's got a plan for all of eternity, future. He wants to know how he's going to put you in that plan. He's going to test you. He constantly examines the righteous. Zechariah chapter 13 verse 9. Let me give you the context. Israel has been very rebellious as a nation. God is disciplining them. Two-thirds die by the sword or perish by famine or plague. One-third survive. They get taken off to other nations. And he says this about the one-third. This third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. Men and women, I don't know if you know what it's like to fire up silver or to fire up gold to make it pure, but it gets extremely hot to purify silver and to purify gold. When you get it so hot, the dross, the junk rises up to the top, and then a goldsmith will take it and wipe off that dross and keep boiling so that more dross rises to the top until finally the silversmith or the goldsmith can see his reflection in the gold. When God can see his reflection in your character, that's when the fire calms down. But until that point, God says, no, I'm going to purify you like silver. I'm going to purify you like gold. Because I want to see my reflection in you. Because when I can see my reflection in you, I know you're faithful. When I know you're faithful, I'll get to reward you to allow you to rule and reign with me forever. That's his primary goal. That's what he's shooting for. And men and women, when you hunger for God, when you seek after God, you invite it. You say, God, test me, try me. Psalm chapter 26, verse 2. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. I invite you, God. Test me. Try me. Psalm 129, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Here I am, God. Test me. Test me. I give you my life. 
I give you the freedom to test me. Well, those are all Old Testament. Uh, is there testing in the New Testament? I mean, aren't these like different periods and different uh, graces that, you know, come at different times, different periods? Well, let's look into the New Testament and see if there is testing in the New Testament. James knew there was testing. He says these words, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because... Trial, under trial, that sounds like testing. Yep, that's testing. Who perseveres under trial because, oh, there's a reason. Because, yes. What is it, James? Because what? Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. We're going to receive a crown? Yes. What's that about? Rewards. What's that about? Ruling and reigning. Sitting with him on a throne. Kings wear crowns. Queens wear crowns. Ruling and reigning with Christ on the throne. Men and women, you're going to go through trials. It's a testing. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trials. You'll get the reward at the end. It is all worth it. It's worth it. Peter understood it too. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Which perishes even though refined by fire. Your faith is going to be refined by fire. Ooh. That sounds like the silver and the gold type of stuff. Yes, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How he treated Israel in the Old Testament, he treats us in the New Testament. It's all toward the same common goal to get us to rule and to reign with him forever. Don't miss out. Don't pass it by. Stand firm. Persevere. Peter goes on. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He says, this isn't strange. Testing, it's not strange. It's a part of God's plan. Always has been a part of God's plan. Always will be a part of God's plan. Why? He's shooting for an ultimate goal to have you rule and reign with him. He's got a family business. He wants to see where he's going to put you. Jesus gives the parable in Luke 19, and he helps us to see. I want to see how you do. I want to see how you do. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 15. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed a king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. So what's the context? Jesus is here on this earth. He's given us gifts and talents. He lived a faithful life. He's gone back into heaven. He's going to be the king, the king sitting next to God the Father on his throne, and he's going to come back a second time. When he comes back a second time, he says, I want to see how you did. I want to see how you did. Let's look at the parable. But his subjects hated him and sent him a delegation to him saying, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for his servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. He says, listen, I gave you the money. How'd you do? How'd you do? Were you faithful with the money that I gave you? The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant. His master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, 
take charge of ten cities. Ten cities? Literal cities? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think when you get the context of ruling and reigning, sitting on a throne, remember three things about a throne, someone's in charge, there's property, and there's people to govern. Yeah, be in charge of ten cities. The next one got five cities. Cities? Note, different levels of reward. Different levels of being in charge, ruling, and reigning. Men and women, God tests us here on this earth. Not only here on this earth, but on Judgment Day. Judgment Day, he's saying, I want to see how you did. Did you live for your kingdom? Did you live for my kingdom? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Judgment Day is a big test. Not whether or not we're going to get into heaven. That's totally different. How we're going to be rewarded. Oh, that's what this is about. Yeah. If you have gold, silver, precious stones, in other words, you are living to advance God's kingdom, not your kingdom, you are going to be rewarded because fire doesn't do anything to gold, silver, precious stones. It just purifies it. But wood, hay, and straw, you're living for your kingdom, not God's kingdom. Everything's going to get burned up and you'll have nothing left. You don't want that for yourself. I don't want that for you. That's why I'm doing the series. You have been chosen by God to rule and to reign with him. You are full of significance. You are full of purpose. You are full of a God who has a plan for your life for all of eternity future. But you don't start off at the top men and women. You don't start off at the top. Praying the prayer doesn't get you to the top. You need to show yourself to be faithful. To be faithful, God is not going to put an unskilled person sitting on a throne who never was faithful here on this earth. Don't focus so much on love that justice isn't served. Men and women, justice is permanently linked together with God's love. God tests us here on this earth to see how we'll rule and reign with him forever in eternity future. He's going to test us. God tests us to see where he is going to put us in his family business. God has a family business. It's made up of people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. God has a family business. Show yourself to be faithful. It is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Your goal is to mature as a believer. In our next time together, we're going to be looking at how this impacts your day-to-day -day life. How it impacts your day today life. You don't want to miss it. Welcome again to maturing the bride.